Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we turn now to hear your word and to look into it, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would cause to be heard and received what you would have us hear and receive, that we would see Jesus, that you would receive glory and honor, that your church would be built up and your kingdom would be advanced. In the name of Jesus, amen. When we last um, left off our look at the experiences of our brothers and sisters in the Ephesian church, they had just endured the trials of the riot that had been caused by some idol makers who were upset with their proclamation of the gospel and with people converting and with lives being changed. And these idol makers were severely um, impacted the economies of the area, um, and, it, and it created a concern for them. It was a very lucrative industry, and, and the conversions and the growth of the church was having an impact on them. The, uh, the text ended with Paul encouraging them, aware that more of that kind of response from those who rejected the gospel was likely as, they, as these believers lived out their faith. Paul then left on his journey and went west with the idea that he would be back in their vicinity on his way to Jerusalem for Pentecost. As it turned out, on his return trip, he was running out of time. So he sent a message to, and he really wanted to see the Ephesian church. Um, and he sent a message to the elders of the Ephesian church and asked them to meet him at the port city of Miletus, which is about two days' journey from Ephesus. The church, which had now been in place for about five years, so they're young, had experienced miracles and wonders and growth and opposition and suffering and excitement and some pretty serious discipleship because Paul had spent three years there, which is longer than he spent anywhere else. Our reading this morning is a recap of the meeting that Paul has with the elders, most certainly men he had spent a lot of time with, whom he had gone through issues, who he had discipled with and, and, and taught them. Most, if not all, had only relatively recently converted to Christ, uh, maybe a few years and, and remember, this is all kind of new, because the Lord had only risen 20 years prior to all this. Our, um, our text this morning is Acts 20, uh, starting in Acts 20, verse 13 to 21.1. But before I read it, I just want to ask a question. Um, I'm reading from the ESV, and just a quick show of hands, how many people are reading from the ESV? We got some. How many from the NIV? Okay. How many from the NASB? And then the King James Version? New King James Version. Okay. Huh. There's not a majority there. That's going to be. I think what, what I'm going to be using is the ESV. Um, but there's times, like I referenced the NIV, and it's important for us to read all of the different versions to, to sometimes get those nuances. But I just was curious. If you want to follow me, 
There is an ESV under the, it's the Pew Bible, and that is the ESV if, if you do want to follow that. That was interesting. Um, okay, verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to, make, to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of, you, none of those among you whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which is obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I command, commend you to God and to the word of grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with, were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And there was much weeping on the part of them all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, 
that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to his ship. And when they had departed from him, they set sail, and we came straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Parsta. Our um, goal of this series of looking at the Ephesian church is to learn from our Christian brothers and sisters' experience. This means that rather than exposit this whole text this morning, um, I'm going to be emphasizing a few things from the text with that in mind of what can we learn from these brothers and sisters. The hope is that by doing so, we might avoid the mistakes of the Ephesian church, the mistakes that they eventually made a few decades from now when they had forgotten their first love, Jesus. That was the first sermon in the series. And they received a a very dire rebuke from the Lord himself in the letter he dictated to John in the Revelation. The first thing I feel obligated to note, though, is that there is a lot of varying opinion about this text in the commentaries. Um, Seems kind of straightforward, but there's a lot. Uh, For instance, was the speech recorded verbatim? Or was it really a farewell speech, and what does that mean? Or was was Luke providing some editorial synopsis as a way to kind of defend Paul from future accusations. I mean, seriously, this is what they're talking about. There's also a lot of conversation about verse 20, 25, when Paul says he was never going to see these folks again, uh, since there is some indication in Paul's uh, epistles that he might have actually made it back to Ephesus after being released from prison in Rome at the end of Acts. And that stirred a whole hornet's nest. Um, Did he get back there? Was Paul wrong? And how does that impact the accuracy of his other words? Did he merely get to the area and not see them? Is Paul dead at this time? And maybe Luke doesn't know if he made it back? It it goes on. Well, while I sincerely appreciate these commentators, uh, since the truth is, without people like them, we who appreciate our Bibles and who understand the core teachings of the Bibles probably would not have our Bibles or be able to appreciate the core teachings of our Bibles if learned people like this didn't do what they do. So it's, it's very important. Yet, yet sometimes I believe that these really smart brothers and sisters, and I'm not talking about the heretics whose goal is to undermine the Scripture, um, get lost in the weeds. <laughs> and sometimes they miss the point that God had recorded in His Scripture what He wanted recorded. And, and that sometimes we make too much of the unimportant stuff. So, so one of the things that, I, that we need to do is look at the context. Chris likes that. This word, context, context, context. Uh, and, and one of the ways we do that is we look at what the Scriptures already tell us about the Ephesian church as we're going to listen to what Paul says to them. And so by doing that, we're going to have to go back and kind of look at what we've covered to this point uh, and what we know about the Ephesian church from the, from the scriptures that we've covered in the series so far. Our, our journey with the Ephesians church started off with Paul's first visit to Ephesus. That almost seemed unexpected. Uh, he was heading somewhere else. In fact, he was so determined not to stay in Ephesus that even as people started to respond to the gospel, Paul basically took off, leaving Aquila and Priscilla to deal with this new church 
and the issues around it that was forming. These two were tasked with leading a brand new church in a kind of hostile environment in a foreign city while they were new to the gospel themselves. While, while they had been devout Jews, they still were new to the gospel. And yet God used these two in mighty ways, even though they probably felt very unprepared. We, we saw in that 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 is an encouragement for us to realize that God can use us in unexpected stopovers of our life and that he can do amazing things with us if we remain faithful and serve him. This was followed by the story of Apollos who showed up. He was another Jew who was only familiar with the baptism of John the Baptist, the baptism of repentance. And, and he did not know that the Messiah had already come, died, and rose again. Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila led him to Jesus. That was one of the amazing things that happened. And, and, and Apollos' preaching became even more powerful. And he ended up having a tremendous impact, not only on that church, but on the churches in Asia and particularly Corinth. We, we saw how the message of repentance is vital and essential. But we saw through that story of Apollos, that true life is not found just in repentance and the expectation of a deliverer. It is found in the fact that Christ has already come and made it possible for us to be forgiven and have eternal life. After Apollos, we, meet, we met the, the, those 12 disciples who, who, like Apollos, did not have the rest of the story, particularly regarding the Holy Spirit. Following Paul's instruction to them, they were baptized in the name of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit manifested himself, and the church grew, and more and more Gentiles and Jews were coming to Jesus as God did mighty miracles and wonders through Paul. We saw that God was doing the miracles through Paul, not Paul was doing the miracles, and that the focus was never on the miracles or the signs or the wonders but on the proclamation of the gospel and of the truth and of Jesus. Next, we saw the story of the foolish Jewish exorcist who pretended to speak in Jesus' name, which we know did not go real well for them because they didn't believe in Jesus. That led to the exorcist getting beat up, which led to a revival, which led to a huge bonfire of magic books, many of those magic books belonging to Christians. We discussed how that bonfire episode exposed and calls us to consider that we might be holding on to some stuff from our past that we need to repent of and throw on the bonfire. We then had a note from that the church went on increasing and prevailing for three years. And then as Paul was getting ready to leave Ephesus, that's when the riot occurred that I had referenced earlier. Uh, that was a consequence of those believers being faithful to Jesus. And that whole episode called us to follow their example and, and to live out the gospel we believe, being assured that we will have an impact if, if we remain faithful, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us and even the world or the economies of the world. And that brings us to where we are now. Paul is now talking to the leaders of the church 
who had seen all these miracles. They'd been part of all this stuff. Lives had been changed. Economies had changed. The gospel prevailed. Love was all over the place among the brethren. All kinds of things. I mean, this was, these were the leaders of what was very much a going concern. And this whole meeting is also really emotional. Uh, there was, if you, if you read closely, there's grieving and there's tears and there's kissing and there's sorrow. There's embracing to the point that here's the NIV doesn't say that they departed. The NIV says, and we had to tear ourselves away from them. I mean, this was emotional. These people, Paul and the elders and the, Paul's traveling companions, loved each other. This is not a cold church. This is not followers of a cold gospel. There's no indifference and stuffy formality here. The, these people loved each other. Before I get into some of the things Paul said to the elders, I want to note what he does not say. Um, Paul does not talk about miracles or revivals. He could have. He absolutely could have. He, he could have sat around and reminisced on the signs and wonders and dreamed of the good old days and remembered that. That's not what he did. Instead, what he said and what he talked about, what was before him, which was prison and hardship and affliction. And, and we really should not miss this point, that the implications that these elders would have gotten and that we should get was that if they follow his example, which he's exhorting them to do, they could and probably would experience those things in their life as well. Revivals and wonders and would happen, and, and in fact, that's kind of what their experience has been since they were founded five years earlier. And undoubtedly, they had experienced some setbacks and persecution and hardship. Yet Paul wants them to understand that what matters is how we finish the race. What matters is what is ahead. There was no resting on laurels, no setting up a tent and selling tickets for a miracle show, no plans to go into peaceful, self-centered retirement. He wanted to faithfully follow Jesus no matter what the cost to the end. And he's calling these elders to have the same mindset as they remain faithful to the Lord and lead the church there in Ephesus. And the scripture's calling us to have that mindset as well. One of the things that resonated, this is kind of an aside, but resonated with me with, was the elder's response to what Paul said was ahead for himself and remember also for them. Paul is basically saying, I, I'm going to be... Uh, going and I'm going to be greatly afflicted and, and persecuted and, and possibly die. And, and just so you know, as you are faithful to our Lord and follow his example and follow my example, you might as well expect that too. So, so finish your race well as I finish mine. And, and oh, you should know this means we won't see each other again. Their response is they basically ignore the suffering part. It's like he didn't even say it. And their response is, our hearts are broken that we won't get to see you again. That is the attitude of the saints of a vibrant church. The, the troubles really don't matter. 
They're not the issue. The love for the brethren is. That, that should be something we should think about. We talk about our troubles a lot. We should be focused on the love for each other. Paul also emphasized that he preached the whole counsel of God. The NIV says the whole will of God. Keeping in mind that this is only a brief speech, that, that, Paul, um, that Paul had been there for three years, and that two-thirds of what we have in our text this morning is basically warnings and his plans and saying goodbye, um, Paul obviously doesn't mention all of what's included in the whole counsel of God. Yet he is calling them to remember what he taught them. He, he also does mention a, a few things that he must have thought were pretty important to, to repeat them in this very important speech. I want to highlight some of those things that he said that I can only conclude are essential to the whole counsel of God. The context or, or the kind of the pre, preface uh, preface for this is in verse 19. Um, after he reminds them of his, his, his life and the example he set serving the Lord with humility and tears, even while being severely challenged by those in opposition to him, he makes it clear that he did not hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful or profitable to them. This is basically the eat your vegetables statement for the church and, and a directive to these elders to make sure that these things are served to the people under their care. The whole counsel of God involves things that are essential to hear and see and say. They are also helpful and profitable to us. And, avoid, and, and if we avoid them and avoid talking about them, um, we're, we're not preaching the whole counsel of God. And, and the first specific example of this is in verse 21. Paul said that he was declaring to them that all must repent and have faith in the Lord Jesus. Repentance is not a subject that people like to hear about, but it is essential. It's, it, it's the first thing he reminded them of. If we forget about repenting of our sins and the necessity of repentance, we will lose our faith in Jesus, our Savior, because we will no longer think we need a Savior. Repentance is essential for us as believers. Yet, yet as they had learned from the lesson of those who only knew of John the Baptist's baptism, remember the baptism of repentance, that's all they knew was repentance. There is more than just repentance. It's not just repentance alone. And that is what he follows it with, and that is faith in Jesus. And I'm not talking about faith in one of these made-up Jesus. I'm talking about faith in the real Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, who died for our sins, rose again, and now sits in glory from where he will come again. Repentance is essential. Faith in Jesus is the rest of the story. And these two things are connected and essential in the whole counsel of God. Then in verse 25, Paul said he went about preaching or claiming the kingdom, which can only be the, the kingdom of God. Paul talked about the kingdom of God, God's will, God's glory, God's reign, 
God's kingdom. Our own little kingdoms, our own little fiefdoms, our own little nests really do not matter that much. What matters to Paul and for us is the kingdom of God, of which we are part of because of the work of Christ. And we should talk about that. We should be focused on the kingdom of God here and now and his rule and his glory and his majesty. Doing so is part of the whole counsel of God. And then near the end of the speech, Paul reminds them of, and I'm going to quote, the, the, the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Earlier in verse 20, 25, he had said that it was his task to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Paul preached grace. He preached the, the, the transformative power of grace. He preached a grace that, when received, grants the recipient an incomprehensible inheritance with the saints and with other believers in God, whom God has transformed and is transforming and sanctifying. Grace, the word of grace, the message of grace, is an essential part of the whole counsel of God. And then Paul repeated the words of the Lord that, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. The Lord and Paul did not mean that if you give $50 to someone's ministry, you will get 100 back or $10,000 back or a better job or a car. He is saying that if you give, you, you will be happy. You will experience blessed joy. And, and you know, we know this to be true. Uh, the, the elders knew this to be true. Yet they and we need to hear it again and again. And it's essential to the whole counsel of God. So, so the things he reminded them of are repentance, faith in Jesus, God's kingdom, not our kingdom, grace, and that it is more blessed to give than receive. These are essential parts of the whole counsel of God, and we should hold on to these dearly. Paul also said there would be false teachers. And he, he spent, compared to the other subjects he addressed, a lot more time on this issue of false teachers than on any other subject in this whole speech. In fact, in verse 31, he reminds them that this was such a big issue that he warned them about it for three years and even with tears. I mean, this is a big issue. Wolves will come from outside and divide the flock. Wolves kill sheep. We are the sheep. And there will also arise from within the church those who will pervert the truth. The NIV says distort. The ESV says speak twisted things. These folks from within will draw away disciples after them. We are the disciples. Again, Paul spent more time on this issue than any other issue in this speech. Wolves are easy to identify, usually, except when they're in sheep's clothing. 
It is the second group, though, that was most concerning and actually do and did the most damage. They pervert and twist things like Satan did to Eve in the garden. And, and we need to be aware of this. So, so how do we know who these people are? Uh, the wolves and false teachers from men. Uh, since none of us are perfect, um, and all of us have our opinions, and, and we also, there are substantial differences about very important things. Who's the false teacher? One place to start is with what Paul just reminded them of. Draw a line in the sand on these things. If someone says that repentance is not necessary or a big issue, don't listen to them. If someone says to have faith in anyone or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, don't listen to them. If someone is preaching about a kingdom, whether it's their own kingdom or one you can get if you believe hard enough or send in enough money or do the right things, rather than the kingdom of God, don't listen to them. If someone departs from the wonderful and powerful message of grace that, that can build us up and give us and gives us the ability to have this inheritance among the saints, don't listen to them. And if someone says that receiving, not giving, you know, the, the greed thing that creeps in that that you got to get all you can get or, or make the most out of this life and, and do what you need to do for yourself. Don't listen to them. When people say these things, they are contrary to the counsel of God. Call them out. Put them out. They are wolves and they are false teachers and they are dangerous. Paul shed tears for three years over this with this group. It's really important. And we're not immune from wolves and false teachers. Finally, Paul called the elders to be good shepherds. And what I want to note related to this is what Paul says is the reason they are to be good shepherds, to be protectors, to be willing to lay down their life for their sheep as their good shepherd, their Lord, did. And it's because of what he says in verse 28. And that is this, that Christ bought them with his own blood. These people entrusted to these elders were invaluable. These people belonged to God. The elders were entrusted with a very sacred trust. Children of God purchased with the blood of Jesus. Invaluable. This means many things, but there are two biggies. The first is that if you are a Christian, you need to remember that that is who you are. You are beyond precious to the Lord of the universe. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You are no longer your own. You are His. You are sacred. You are set apart. You are invaluable. That is who you are in Christ. Never forget that. 
The second is that while you not, might not be an elder, you do have people under your authority or influence, children, friends, new believers, who were bought with that same blood. We need to protect them. There are wolves that want to divide and kill. There are false teachers who want to twist and pervert and lead them away. We need to stand our ground. This isn't a matter of of changing jobs or countries or teams on a playground. This this is for keeps. This is is for real. We, We need to stay focused on Jesus and the whole counsel of God. The consequences are too severe if we don't. You have to wonder if um, the Ephesians had remembered these things, if they had recalled and paid attention to what Paul just outlined, if they would have received that letter from Jesus in the Revelation, telling them of their their dire circumstances because they had forgotten their first love, because they had forgotten Jesus. In closing, as as we look forward to going through the the letter to the Ephesians starting next week, we will see that um, Paul's concerns and exhortations were more than merited. The letter to the Ephesians was written about five years after this meeting, and that's our next encounter with the Ephesian church. And, And then we got the letters to Timothy, who becomes the pastor of the Ephesian church, and, and these things were serious enough for Paul to shed tears. They were taught and they were warned. So have we been. Uh, these things were important. Are we remembering them? They were not to forget them. We should not forget these things. If they had remembered them, if they had, they might have avoided the mistakes that led to that letter when the Lord of the universe said he was holding some things against them, which isn't something you want to hear the Lord of the universe say to you. Let us not make that mistake. Let us learn from the experiences of our brothers and sisters in the Ephesian church. Let us hold to the things that Paul reminded them on the shores of Miletus, repentance and faith and the kingdom of God and the gospel of grace and that it's better to give than receive. And let us never forget how precious we are to the Heavenly Father, that we were purchased with the very blood of Jesus. And hopefully, we will never forget our first love, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your mercies to us are beyond comprehension. Your persistence in caring for us and watching over us as the Good Shepherd. We thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak it again into our hearts that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus for your glory and your honor. Amen.